Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. How are you today? Doing well? All right. So we were at camp this week. Uh, we were at youth camp this week. And uh, so if my voice sounds a little bit hoarse, that's because I was yelling at your teenagers. No, that's, that's not why. It's okay. You can laugh. Um, I just was yelling at them a little bit. No, the reason I'm hoarse is because I stayed up till 1.30 or 2 in the morning every night in the staff cabin because that's where the party don't stop. You know what I'm saying? Once the once the campers are safely tucked into their beds, then, the, then the, that's when the staff cabin goes, uh, goes crazy, which by crazy, it means me hanging out with my dad and my mom in there. So, <laughs> My dad is uh, between 60 and 100 years old, um, some, somewhere in that range. And uh, he was up till 1.30 or 2 every night. I was like, man, dad. And my mom is full-blooded Sicilian, and she was uh, cooking stuff up. We had good food, and it was, it was great. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was awesome. Did you have a good week? Yeah. There's like some kind of an astronomical event happening tomorrow. I don't know if it's affected you. Hopefully you've bought all the gas and all the water and you have bought all the guns and made a bunker um, because, as you know, the world isn't... No, I'm just kidding. I did buy gas. I, I, I did allow the fear-mongering to get to me a little bit and buy a tank of gas, so that's it. But if I, ha if I need emergency supplies, then please love your pastor and take care of my family. Uh, well, we've been, uh, we've been going through... Uh, the series called I Love My Church and I Love My City, and it's going to pivot today. And the last two weeks we've been covering I Love My Church. How many of you got an I Love My Church t-shirt? Who's wearing it today? Raise your hand. Greg, you're looking really good, looking really good in that shirt. In that shirt. It's a nice shirt, isn't it? It's soft. It's comfortable. The nice thing about it, like a church-branded shirt is you can wear it to church every Sunday and wear a t-shirt to church, and it's awesome. And people think you're just fitting in, right? It's great. I wore mine so much that it started to stink, and so I, it's, it's being laundered at this moment. Which, I mean, it's in, the lawn, it's in the dirty clothes. I don't go to like a laundromat for my t-shirts, but in case you were wondering. So uh, we've been going through I Love My Church, and now we're going to kind of pivot and start four weeks on what it looks like to really love our city. How many of you love our city? City of Eugene and Lane County. Go Ducks. Yeah, come on. This is God's country right here. His special team right here. Not like the demonic beavers or the... Useless, spoiled children down in California, USC, under Satan's command. Yeah. So we, I think that's what it stands for. Uh, we love our city, but how many of you would say, Pastor Jake, this is true, and you don't know yet, so just agree in advance. No, I'm kidding. How many of you would say that God loves this city? God loves this city. You don't agree with me enough yet. God loves this city. God loves the people here. All these people, you know, you might be coming in here, you go, well, I'm not a Jesus follower. I'm not a Christian. I don't go to church. This is my first day. I just walked in. I thought I was going to watch a movie, but I ended up at church. Oh my God. And I'm too embarrassed to walk out. <laughs> Maybe you think that God just loves church people. Wrong. God loves all people. God loves all the people in this city. Even the people that don't love God, that's the beautiful thing about our God, is that God loves all the people, even those that don't love God. Last week I said this, God loves the people that you hate. And thank God for that, because some people hate you. But our God loves this city. He loves this city so much. He loves this city more than you or I could ever love this city. And God has placed us here to be his hands and his feet, to love the people around us, even just at a fraction of the level that God loves them. But God loves this city. You know, Jesus, when he was asked by his disciples, teach us to pray. 
he, he said something in what's called the Lord's Prayer. He said, this is how you pray. He said, pray, pray like this. Say, say, Father, let your kingdom come and let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus directed his disciples to pray, he said, ask God that it would look like heaven here on earth. I want to ask you a question this morning. When you go out into this beautiful city, in this beautiful community, and you walk around, can you say with an honest and sincere heart, oh, it looks like heaven here? Or do you think actually it looks like hell? Maybe in some ways it looks like heaven. In some neighborhoods, some people's lives it looks like heaven is operating, but in other people's lives, it looks like hell. That is the gap where our mission is to take in, go into action. That we are here to see this city look like when God gets his way, this is what happens. Come on, when, when God gets his way, racism goes away. When God gets his way, poverty goes away. When God gets his way, little kids that don't have parents, that goes away. Come on, somebody. When God gets his way, when heaven comes to earth, there's no child abuse. There's no drug addiction. I'm preaching good today. All right. <clears throat> I don't have a voice, but I got heart. <laughs> Heaven on earth. But I want to share with you a message this morning, and I, I've been burning with this message for several weeks, just really excited to, 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 to share it. When you get a, a word from God, sometimes you're like, oh, I just, I'm going to give it today. No, wait, wait, wait for the right time, and this is the moment. But I want to share a message with you, and it's called this. It starts here. It starts here. Somebody say that with me. It starts here. Here, a couple of years ago, Bethany and I were going through a period of, of our life where a lot of things had changed, a lot of things had shifted, and we were in an environment that was not peaceful, and we were struggling. We were bringing problems home from work and, and problems from, from different areas of our life. It was just kind of one of those storm seasons of life, and I remember that Bethany and I, we, we had a huddle. You know, as a married couple, we got together and we said, look, we can't control the atmosphere outside but here in this home, we're going to build a wall. It's like Coach Taggart's recruiting wall around the state of Oregon. Hallelujah. God's team, Oregon Ducks. Build a wall. We said we're going to build a wall around our home. And maybe outside it's going to be chaos. Maybe outside it's going to be violence. Maybe outside it's going to be brokenness and confusion and all this and the storm. But here in our house, we're going to set up a barrier and we're going to have peace in our home. And we began to pray and say, Lord, would you put up a barrier around our home and what we realized is that before we could make a difference out around us in the environment and the atmosphere around us, we had to say it starts here. That we've got to be the change in our life that we want to see out there. It has to start in here. Now, church, I, I grew up as a, a Christian. I grew up in a, doesn't mean I was a Christian. I grew up as a, a church kid. I grew up as a pastor's kid. And I've heard probably millions, that might be a slight exaggeration, but at least hundreds of thousands I've heard hundreds of thousands of sermons. I've heard hundreds of thousands of prayers for revival, for God to move, for God to save people, for God to do something. How many of you have a hunger to see God do something in our city? Yes. You have a hunger to see God do these great things that we talked about, to end poverty and to end abuse and to end divorce. And I mean, when God gets his way, we want to see that, yes. right? And we pray, God, send revival. I mean, I've been in meetings where people are praying, oh, Lord, let your, your spirit come. People pray really funny stuff like, like, like 
wind from the north. And you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, God, come and let angels show up. I don't want to see an angel. That's freaky deaky. People pray stuff, but they're hungering for revival. And they pray, God, move. God, do something. God, come. God, come. Let me just tell you, God has answered this prayer already because he sent you and me to live in this city and to be a living example, to be the proclamation of his message, the outpouring of his love. Revival is here. It's just, it's sitting in the seat that you're sitting in right now. You kind of, if you could look at yourself, you kind of put, put yourself in the, I am the revival that God is bringing. I've heard these prayers, but I'm here to tell you right now that, that revival starts not out there. It starts in here and not just in here in this physical space. It starts in here inside of your heart. That we as the church have to change if we're going to see change take place in our city. If we want Jesus to make an impact in this community, then Jesus has to make an impact in us. And there's a price to pay for that, isn't there? You see, I think a lot of times we're scared of a real relationship with God because we know that he's a real person. There's a real entity, a real being there that has some, some give and some take that this real relationship is going to involve us getting involved and getting connected. It's nice to keep religion sort of abstract as a book on a shelf. Oh yes, I, know I read that book and it's up there on the shelf. No, but what happens when, when your religion, when your faith comes and it compels you to go out, go to the mission, give blood. It compels you to go and serve at a school. It compels you to go and talk to your neighbor that you don't like because he blares his music too loud. That's actually me. I'm that neighbor. But what does it look like when love comes from that place of reality? In the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus gave these, some of his last words to his disciples. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus gave to his followers. It was this strategic assignment that we were to be his representatives, his, his ambassadors, his witnesses, beginning in our city in Jerusalem. That was their city. For us, that's Eugene. Then he broadened it to Judea. That's their region. Then Samaria, more, more regional. And then around the world, the ends of the earth. That is our strategic assignment that we are to go into all the world and make disciples, right? That's what the mission of the church. But it starts in the city. And you know, why does it start in the city? Why does Jesus not say, love everybody, go to all the world? Why does he direct us specifically to our city? I'll tell you why. It's because loving the people that are close to you, that are up in your business, is way harder than loving someone abstractly across the world. You know, I love orphans in Africa. Well, how many times have you gone to Africa? I've never been there. Um, no, you don't love orphans. You have a good feeling towards them. Come on, somebody. Oh, I just love what God's doing over here. Over No, it's harder to love those that are close to you. G.K. Chesterton, he said, the Lord commands us to love our, our neighbors and to love our enemies. And this is because often they're the same person, <laughs> right? That it's easy to, to start going, I don't like this person that's close to me, but it starts here. It starts in our city. Now, God promises us in Acts chapter one, verse 80, promises, promises us power, uh, promises us this power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. You'll receive power when he comes upon you. I want to tell you that God always connects power with purpose. 
See, here's something that we can get misguided in. We start praying for revival. God, let us be powerful. God, give us power. And I think God is always asking this question, for what? God, give me money. God, bless my finances. For what? God, I want to have this great, I want to get married and have this great relationship. For what? God always blesses and connects it with purpose. The power of the Holy Spirit is for the proclamation of the gospel. It's a quote quote by Pastor Steve Merle. The The power of the Holy Spirit is for the proclamation of the gospel. Let me just tell you something. Do you want more of God in your life? active and living and you want this relationship this intimate relationship when you begin to go to the places that Jesus lives and let me just tell you he doesn't live in the church building he's there that's not where he lives he lives at the Eugene mission God lives with the homeless people under the bridge God lives with the drug uh, the, the drugged out people in the meth house God lives in the broken places because that's where he's needed And when you begin to say, God, will you give me power to proclaim the gospel? And God, I want to go to the places where where you are. When you begin to say, God, give me your heart. Let me just tell you right now, you will not be able to contain the power that comes. But see, we're in church going, oh, God, give us power. And God is saying, for what? It starts here. God's got to do something in us. God's got to do something in your life. If you want to see an impact in this city, let Jesus impact your heart today. Today. Come on, this is good stuff. I feel challenged today. How about you? Everything God gives you has purpose. Everything God gives you has purpose. Your time, your talents, your money, it's all the Lord's. And when God gives you something, he's not calling you to have empty hands. He just wants you to have open hands. The Lord has blessed my family so much. Bethany and I, we got married. We were in debt. We, were, we didn't have good thoughts about money. And we got to Financial Peace University. Dave Ramsey, hallelujah. Come on, Dave. Better than I deserve, you know. And we learned some things. And the Lord has blessed us. And we've prospered financially. And I'm thankful for that. But you know what I, I know is that the, the prosperity that we have, the, the, the money that's in our bank account, that's not my money. That belongs to the Lord. And it exists for his purposes. The talents that the Lord has given me, they're not mine. My ability to sing, my ability to preach, my ability to goof off all the time. You know, these are, these are things that, they're not mine. They belong to the Lord. I serve him. I exist to serve him. I gave my life to Jesus. What does that mean? What does that look like? It means that I'm, I'm not empty, but I'm open. That, that if I trust Jesus, that everything he gives me, all the power, all the blessing, all the, all the stuff, that he, if I have open hands, that he's going to take care of me but my life's going to be useful. It starts here. God wants to make an impact in us to change our perspective. You know, as Christians, and like I said, I grew up as a PK. I've been a Christian since I was four years old. And as Christians, we often get it wrong. You know, one of the things I do is I go on Twitter and I follow a lot of the Oregon Ducks players and and mostly because I'm a total Oregon Ducks fanboy and a total stalker and my dream is to become the chaplain of the team. So I'm on Twitter. It's a true confession. You know, I'm on Twitter and I follow a lot of the players and, and I met some of the players and, and these young men and, and, I, and I see their perspective. And a lot of them will say, you know, I love Jesus. You know, they'll, they'll kind of put their faith in God or publicly, whatever. But then you see some of their tweets and things and, and I can tell that, that there's this perspective of, of the church. 
and, and I don't know where you're at politically, but we often kind of get roped in. This isn't totally fair, but it's fair to some, some ways. We get roped in that if you're a Christian, then that means you hate gay people and you want to bomb everybody. Okay, now I'm not making a political statement. I'm just saying this is a reality in culture that if you say I'm a follower, if I'm a Christian, you, you sort of get roped in, right? That's maybe not fair, but, it, but it's a reality. But what are we doing to change the perception that Christians just judge everyone and hate everyone? You know, what are we doing to change it so that it's not always like a pithy religious statement that comes out on Facebook when somebody has a problem? Oh, well, when the Lord, uh, when a, he shuts a door, he opens a window. Did, did that like rock your life? Or, because um, if so, maybe you could share it. But I mean, for a lot of people, it's like, what? I'm dying here and you're just throwing out like BS at me? Well, you should just go to church with me. Well, what's that going to do for me? Now, I'm just, I'm just talking to some people that are Christians here today, okay? Some followers of Jesus. I'm just going to, right? I, and I'm with you. I, it's my tribe. Come on. I'm a PK. I'm a card-carrying Christian since I was four years old. That was 15 years ago. And um, <laughs> oftentimes as Christians, we, we get it wrong. Why? Because we want the world to change. Because we want everybody else in the world to change and become like us. And that's absolutely the opposite of what Jesus told us to do and the opposite of what Jesus called us to be and the opposite attitude that he called us to have. You see, Jesus demonstrated a different type of leadership. He demonstrated a different type of witness. It was that when, when others opposed him, he was meek and he was humble and he was loving. I mean, little kids love to jump into the lap of Jesus. That doesn't look like this image of, wow, what a judgmental jerk he was. That's not how people saw Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't always there to give people answers. He was there to give them love. Well, does G doesn't he have the answers? Absolutely, He absolutely does. But see, until somebody can connect with, connect with Jesus relationally, they, they aren't going to change their perspective. You see, today I'm going to even repent and say, man, I've tried to change people's minds before I let God change their heart. I've tried to, to batter the door down. Well, you need to think this way. Well, that's not how they think. Do I have the power to change someone's mind? Do I have the power to change someone's heart? Absolutely not. I can't even change my own stinking mind. So why am I worried about making everybody else vote the way I vote and think the way I think? Why don't I help people know Jesus and let him worry about changing their heart and their mind? And so we've got it wrong oftentimes where we, we want the world to change, and yet we've neglected to change ourselves. See, every time you pray a prayer, oh God, change the world, what we should do is look in the mirror and say, change me. Listen, listen to this verse from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This is a roadmap for revival. The change that I believe God does want to do in our community, the change that God does want to accomplish is found right here. This is the roadmap for revival. Listen, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Then if my people, somebody say, that's me who are called by my name. In other words, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. What? Humble? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. You see, we've got it wrong. Because what I've been doing my whole life, I think what we do as Christians a lot of times is we say, oh God, I wish the world would change. Oh, I wish those druggies would stop being on drugs. And I wish those people that are sleeping around would stop doing that. And oh, don't get us started on the gays. 
Come on. Oh, those Democrats. Those Republicans. Some of you guys, you know, the other side. We always want everybody else to change. That's not the way to revival. The way to revival is to say, God, I'm going to humble myself because I'm the problem. God, I'm going to turn. God, I'm going to seek. God, I'm going to humble myself. What does it mean to be humble? It means to shut your mouth. It means to serve people. It means to love people. It means to, even when you know you have truth, when you know that you're right, to not defend those rights and to let people walk on you. Well, that's our rights. I'm an American. Jesus wasn't an American. Even in his day and age, there was a whole thing about nationalism. Well, you know, these stinking Romans. And today it just, it just changes. It's just a different flag. But there's always a temptation to put some kingdom, whether it's Obama's kingdom or Trump's kingdom or whoever's kingdom you would rather have. But if you're a follower of Jesus, those kingdoms are not your kingdom. This world is not your home. You are part of the kingdom of heaven. And is there a third way? Or are you Republican or Democrat? Neither. I'm with Jesus. Come on. There's always a temptation to try to make it about someone else. But the roadmap to revival says humble yourself. Change in the city starts with change in the church. Here's how. I mean, this literally is a roadmap for revival. Listen to what it says. It says, humble yourselves. Number one, we, we need to humble ourselves. Do you worry more about being right or making things right? I mean, just think about that. That would change your life right there. Do you worry more about being right or making things right? See, as I've started following my, my organ ducks, my flock, you know, that I'm working on, they don't know I'm their pastor yet, but <laughs> I'm just figuring them out, you know, so I can talk to them when, when the time comes. Pray, come on, intercede. And if, if I get free tickets, then incidentally, that's just how it goes. But there's so many things I see that I'm like, I don't agree with that. 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 So I could get on there and be like, wrong, 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 wrong. Do you know this is what most people think of Christians? They don't tell us stuff because they know what we're going to do. Wrong, 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 wrong. You think wrong. You act wrong. You look wrong. You even smell wrong. You drink too much. You smoke too much. You look wrong. You do this. You're wrong, 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 wrong. Right? And everybody already knows that's coming, and so they don't, they don't tell us anything. Why, why don't you have any non-Christian friends? Because they don't want to hang out with you. You hear what I'm saying? I'm guilty of this. Wrong, 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 wrong. Do you worry more about being right or making things right? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying that your thoughts are wrong or that what you think is wrong. I'm saying that if you're worried more about being right, you're not going to win people. You're not going to persuade them to take a look at Jesus because you're going to lose them before they even get to that place. Maybe if we pulled the love and humility card before anything else, we'd win people to faith. Can I tell you something? When we as the church, just this room right here, this group, first service, Joy Church, 9 a.m., if we walked out of here and we were worried more about loving people well than, than telling them the truth, this would be a full movie theater. Because everybody wants a friend that's there for them. Everybody is looking for hope and love and life, but people aren't necessarily looking for your answers that you have for them. Now, those answers are not wrong. Well, you need Jesus. That's true. But are you losing people before you can even give them an answer? Are you losing them? Humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves. Number two, we need to pray and seek God's face. There was a man that went to Joy Church Medford when I was there for a period of years. Then he kind of became a famous TV preacher. His name is Tommy Tinney. And uh, Tommy Tinney came back and he was, God was doing some revival through him. I mean, just incredible stuff. And he preached this message that was just earth changing. I mean, changed my life. 
He said, church, we're so about seeking God's hands. You know, the blessing. Lord, give me the best parking spot and give me the best seed. And God, give me, you know, God, help me, help my life, help me be prosper. And we pray for God's hands, but we need to begin to seek God's face. Because see, when you seek God's face, you get the blessings. What does face mean? It means intimacy. It means relationship. It means the closeness of God. When God is your target and not the means to an end, when God is the destination, not just a journey towards something else, when God is your exceedingly great reward, that's when your life is going to be amazing. Church, do we just seek the hand of God or do we seek the face of God? Do we seek the face of God? You see, when we desire God himself more than what God provides, we will have an irresistible faith. Let me ask you this question. Why would people in our city that we are here to reach, to love, to serve, why would they want to know a God that you don't want to know? Think about this. If you're cold and dead in your, inside in your faith, in your walk with Jesus, if you don't love Jesus, how are you going to help other people love Jesus? You can't give something to somebody that you don't have. If I don't love God in his presence, how can I give people God? How can my life be a witness if I'm dead and cold on the inside? It starts here. Revival. We humble ourselves. We say, guess what? We don't have all the answers. We think we get it. We don't understand. We don't have all the answers. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to seek God. Not just God's hand, but God's face. And then number three on this roadmap to revival, we are going to turn from our wicked ways. Turn from our wicked ways. Let me ask you a question. I'm not going to preach fire and brimstone at you. I don't want fire and brimstone for me. Just let me ask you this question. What is God convicting you of right now? See, I think a lot of times in church, we've said, oh, we don't want to be judgmental, so we'll throw out the idea of righteousness. That's wrong. That's wrong. God is holy. He wants a holy people. The church in Greek is ekklesia. It means called out. In other words, God has brought us out of this other kingdom, which means what? That we are to change. So, So the church should look different than the world. We should make better decisions than the world. If you have Jesus, then you should, you should have a leg up on this whole holiness thing, right? And so we've often said, well, we're not going to talk about it. But sometimes what we've done is we've just targeted things and we've, we've, we've created a sin hierarchy. So, you know, like gluttony is really, really down low. That's not a big deal. But, you know, if you're homosexual, that's like really bad. Well, actually, it's all bad. All of our fallenness and brokenness is bad and it separates us from God. So why don't we go ahead and level the playing field and say, we're all bozos in the boat. We're all broken in some way. Come on. No, I'm not broken. You are. We're all broken in some way, and we need Jesus to transform us and to work work in our life. But I want to ask you this question. What is God convicting you of right now? I'm not going to say, oh, it's this, 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 and this. No, I don't know what it is. I know one thing the Lord's convicting me of right now. It's being judgmental, being the kind of person that a sinner wouldn't want to hang out with because they think that I would go wrong, 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 wrong. The Lord's convicting me. And there's other stuff, but I'm not telling you. (laughs) But it's there. What is God convicting you of right now? And then let's develop this practice of repentance. Regularly examining our hearts before God. You see, if if it's been more than a week since you broke down and said, God, I really need you. Because I'm really broken. If it's been more than a week, it's been too long. It's been too long. You see, there should always be a little bit of a cry, maybe not in our eyes. If you're super tough and manly, you don't cry, but that's, that's okay. But there should be, 
There should be some sincerity. There should be some, some softness in our relationship with God because God is absolutely holy. God has never made a mistake. God has never messed up. And yet he's invited us to walk in relationship with him. And that doesn't mean that we just keep sinning and keep living how we want to live. No, it means keeping our hearts soft, saying, God, you're so holy. Would you help me walk with you? You're my father. I, I, want, to, I want to move towards you, not away from you. Let's develop this practice of repentance. You know, grace is not license and righteousness is not legalism. Let's get rid of these black and white categories. Oh, it's all grace and that means you do whatever you want. No, that's not the, what the scripture teaches. It's nuanced. Grace is not license and righteousness is not legalism. So church, let me just say something. We have grown far too comfortable in our sinfulness. There should be something in the church where there's a fear of God. Where, not in the world, in the church. You see, we've wanted the world to fear God. No, you and I need to fear God. Well, the world needs to fear God. God's going to judge the world. No, God is judging his church, his people. You know what I don't do? I don't go out in my neighborhood and be like, hey, neighbor kid, you need to get your act together. That's not my kid. But the Schmelzer kids, oh, you better believe I'm talking to them. Jack, get up. You know what I mean? Evie, stop. I think people probably think we're crazy because we're just always raising kids. You know what I mean? All the time, just discipline and all this kind of stuff. That's my house. I'm the dad. So I discipline my kids. I talk to my kids. I don't go out into the neighborhood. Hey, cut it out. It's not my kid, right? Come on my property, then I'm going to yell at you. But if it's not my kid. So what, this is what we think God wants to do is go out into the world. Those, that's not his family. That's not his house. He's not judging the world. He will judge the world at the end of time. But right now, he's judging the church. Saying, guys, get your act together. Come on, get your act together. You're my kid. You wear my name. What does God want to do in your life? Let's stop asking the world to change and let's start saying, God, will you change us? We're your kids. We're the ones with access to the refrigerator. We're the ones that get to experience the glory and the goodness of God. And God's loving hand of discipline, but come on, we've grown far too comfortable. We're so comfortable. When you look in the, in the, in the New Testament, and you see the Pharisees, they were the religious people of the day, and they thought, we got it. We got it. Oh, but the world, the world, the world. And Jesus came in and just said, face palm. <laughs> you don't get it. You don't get it. So let's humble ourselves. Let's pray and seek God's face, and let's turn from our wicked ways. I'm running out of time, but I'm having a good time. Hopefully you are too. What's the result of this? Three things. God will hear us. That's amazing. When you humble yourself and you pray and seek God's face, you turn from your wicked ways, God hears you. How many of you want to be heard by God? You want your prayers to, to go through, to connect. You want God to hear us. And God's going to forgive our sins. How many of you are thankful for that? Man, I'm a church kid and I need Jesus to forgive a lot of sins. I need a lot of forgiveness and he forgives us. And then number three, and here's the beautiful thing. He restores the land, restores the land. Do you want to see this beautiful city look like heaven? You see, a lot of people told me when I was coming to Eugene, ah, that's a tough city. People aren't open to the gospel. You know what I said to them? Bull crap. I probably used more, less delicate language, actually. God loves this city. This city can look like heaven. This city can look like where God gets his way. Come on, somebody. And it says it right here. If we will humble and be 
pray and turn from wicked ways, then God's going to hear us. He's going to forgive our sins, and he's going to restore our land. This city can be changed by the Spirit of God. But the change in the city starts with change in the church. The Lord is speaking to you and to me. If you're a follower of Jesus today, he's speaking to you. I want us to to end up uh, here with this prayer of confession, and Karen's going to throw it up on the screen. But this is something that I wrote, a prayer, and I'd like you guys to pray it with me. I've been praying this prayer, and I just, let's pray it together. We repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I have loved my comfort more than you. I have loved myself more than others. I have loved my own life more than your calling. I have been more afraid of my sin being exposed than being dealt with. I have been content with less than total surrender to you and your kingdom. I have cared more about what people think of me than what you think of me. I have wanted what the world has to offer more than wanting to offer something to the world. Today I humble myself before you, Lord, and ask you to forgive me. I ask you to transform me from the inside out and give me a heart of love and compassion. I want to love what you love and serve like you served. I want to follow you. Amen. Amen. This morning, let me leave you with this quote, and we'll finish up. John Wesley was a great revivalist in England, and he started the the Wesleyan revival, the Methodist church. He said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen, professionals, pastors, or laymen, just regular people, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. You see, somebody who saw revival understood what revival looked like. Change in the church. It starts here. That's what God wants to do. Amen? Amen. 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 This morning, really quickly, if you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus, I know this was kind of a family-oriented, like, towards the Christian message, and hopefully you were like, this is awesome. The Christians are getting roasted today. (laughs) God wants you in his family. There is nothing like the love of God. There is no place I'd rather be. How many of you Christians, even hearing a message like this, you're like, I'm glad I'm in the family. And the Lord wants to bring you into his family today.